Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Civics 101 is supported in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. About a year ago, Hannah, we made an episode about the Declaration of Independence. And it had a healthy dose of my enthusiasm for 1776. The Declaration will be a triumph, I tell you, a triumph. And it had different takes from three scholars on what the document was. It had the job of justifying one of the most consequential political decisions ever taken. I refer to the Declaration of Independence as originally written as a secession ordinance. This was as close to a perfect document on human agency that one will ever find. And I love making that episode. I really did. And since then, the Declaration has found its way into many of our episodes. Yes, our exploration of that document feels forever unfinished. And on the cutting room floor of that episode was something our guest Byron Williams said how the Declaration was exclusionary, but the ideas in it evolved into the words of Abraham Lincoln, James Baldwin, uh, the poet and activist Langston Hughes. As we pass this most recent quarantined 4th of July, I call Byron up to just get a little more on it. I just want to check the time before we start. Do you still have like 30 minutes? I got 31 for you. (laughs) Byron Williams is a professor, theologian, and host of the show The Public Morality. And he has just written The Radical Declaration. It's a book of essays on our paradoxical founding document. So I asked him first how the Declaration had been used to fuel political change. Well, Lincoln, uh, Reconstruction, women's suffrage, civil rights, Jim Crow, Vietnam, <laughs> the current moment. <laughs> we, but see, that, that's the great thing about, about that document. We can just pick a seminal moment and it, it pretty much works. So how do you want to go? I'm Nick Capodice. I'm Hannah McCarthy. And this is Civics 101, the podcast refresher course on the basics of how our democracy works. Today is the first of three revisits to the Declaration of Independence, perhaps our most celebrated founding document. While it has been used, as Byron said, to instigate change throughout our country's history, it is, frankly, a document that's left many people and communities out. By which you mean enslaved Americans, women, people of color, and Native Americans. And, initially, even more than that. It is never stated, but the the unstated part of that declaration was it applied to white male landowners. In our present discourse, oftentimes we hear white male and we leave out landowners, but it was white male landowners. Sort of like, think of it this way, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is this moral agreement, and you got to have all three to have them all. Two-thirds of that proposition won't cut it. If you were white and male and not a landowner, you were still disenfranchised. So as a result, 
you have this document that pr that proposes uh, creating a nation on liberty and equality. But because of the unstated white male landowners, you had subjective liberty and inequality. You disenfranchise all the women, all the people of color, and depending on depending on the data, somewhere between 35 and 50% of the white male population. So it's a document right there rooted in inconsistency in what I talk about in the book Paradox. And that paradox in the declaration was commented on and tested not long after it was signed. Byron points to Prince Whipple of Portsmouth, New Hampshire. He was the uh, slave of William Whipple, who was a signer of the declaration. In a, in a, a petition to the Hampshire Continental Congress in 1779, to be exact. And a part of it reads, the petition of Nero Brewster and others, natives of Africa, now forcibly detained in slavery, in said state most humbly submit that the God of nature gave them life and freedom upon terms of the most perfect equality with other men. That freedom is an inherent right of the human species not to be surrendered. Does that not sound like they were slightly influenced by, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator? You see right there, the Declaration of Independence is already becoming radicalized, going already going beyond the intended white male landowner to, to more people really not included going, wait a minute. <laughs> but you said these things and we are petitioning our freedom based on what you have already committed yourself to. This was a literal petition that went before the New Hampshire House? Yes, before we even had a constitutional right to protest or petition, this was how the people in New Hampshire could interact with their government. What did the New Hampshire Congress do? They tabled it with no legislative action. Whipple himself was not freed for five more years. Movement towards abolition in New Hampshire began in 1783, but Portsmouth merchants participated in the slave trade until 1807. Uh, that was the year the African slave trade was abolished, not the practice of slavery itself. A small number of enslaved people were reported on the census in New Hampshire until 1840. And shortly after that, in 1852, one of the most famous and critical speeches about American independence was delivered. Frederick Douglass's What to the Slave is the Fourth of July. Uh, it's a speech he gave at a commemoration of the Declaration signing. Did you see that recording done by NPR this past Fourth of July of his descendants yeah. reading sections from that? What to the American slave is your Fourth of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days in the year, the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is the constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham. Your boasted liberty and unholy license. Your national greatness, swelling vanity. Your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless. Frederick Douglass is obviously one of those stories you can't make up. A runaway slave. He runs away, stows away, goes to England, becomes educated. I mean, I'm just giving you the really, not even a fifth, either Reader's Digest version, and comes back and becomes one of the most ardent abolitionists to end slavery. At this point, eight, was it 1852, Frederick Douglass 
sees the irony, the inconsistency of the Declaration of Independence, that it does not extend to everybody, and specifically does not extend, you know, to, to people of African descent. But later on, post-Civil War, Douglas says this, I have said that the Declaration of Independence is the ring bolt to the chain of your nation's destiny. So indeed I regard it. The principles contained in that instrument are saving principles. Stand by those principles, be true to them on all occasions and in all places against all foes and at whatever cost. I, I think that's a great lesson for all of us. You know, if we freeze this document in time, you know, I, I, you know I'm an African-American. If I freeze it, if I freeze the document to the intentions of 1776, then the document may not be relevant to me. Given, given, given the history of America. But it's not about anyone's intent. It's what the country committed to. And so you see in Frederick Douglass, he, in the first reading, he points out the hypocrisy. But then later on, he evolves and goes, you know what? This document does work, but it can only work if we work. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Hey there, everyone. Hey, folks. The whole Civics 101 team is here in D.C. for a week. That's why you hear cars and stuff whizzing by. Uh, we are in the district to talk to the people that we talk about on a daily basis. And a lot of those people work in the executive branch. That is the largest employer in the world. And a lot of those people work in the civil service where, after the assassination of James Garfield, it's a long story, they take an exam to make sure that they are the right person for their job. But if you run a business and you're not the federal government... The best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all, but to match instead with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. 23 hires are made on Indeed every minute, and their matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use it, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com civics. Just go to Indeed.com slash civics right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash civics. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire? You need Indeed. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bottom At participating McDonald's. Wanted to work. When I learned about Frederick Douglass in school, it was always in the context of the Civil War. But he continued to give lectures across the world well after uh, he helped to build housing for black Americans in Baltimore in the 1890s. And he died in 1895 after returning from a meeting of the National Council of Women in Washington, D.C. So, yes, slavery was abolished in 1865. But responses to the Declaration and the ideals laid out in it 
continued into the 20th century. So then you have Langston Hughes saying, you know, America has never been America to me. I mean, it's a beautiful poem. Are you familiar with Langston Hughes? I know a little. I know that he was a prominent author during the Harlem Renaissance and that he wrote a famous poem called Harlem. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? Or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat? Byron is referencing Hughes's later poem entitled Let America Be America Again. But even in that lament that America has never been America to him and, and acknowledging the hypocrisy, Hughes carves out a, a piece of hope. But I do say clearly America will be America to me. In spite of itself, this thing will happen. And so there is the reality that, that America of America's failed promise, but yet there's still this hope that America will be this thing one day. And then you have one of the great 20th century writers, uh, James Baldwin. James Baldwin was a prolific playwright and novelist and essayist who wrote extensively on the subject of race, but also spoke about it on late night talk shows. There's this great interview that he does on on Dick Cavett. And I'm paraphrasing it, but but Baldwin basically says, you know, I don't know if if, uh, real estate lobbyists hate black people, but I know where they force me to live. I don't know whether the labor unions and their bosses really hate me. That doesn't matter, but I know I'm not in their unions. I don't know if the the Board of Education hates black people, but I know the textbooks they give my children to read and the schools that we have to go to. Now, this is the evidence. You want me to make an act of faith, risking myself, my wife, my woman, my sister, my children, on some idealism which you assure me exists in America, which I have never seen. And, and so at some point, delayed gratification becomes no, becomes non-existent and I don't believe it. And the only challenge to that is that if you follow the Baldwin path to its logical conclusion, you end up nihilistic and apathetic, which is an understandable conclusion. It does not make us a better people. You know, Bob Dylan was, wrote the lyric, when you got nothing, you've got nothing to lose. A democratic republic cannot survive if it has a growing population that feels they have nothing, to, they have nothing so they have nothing to lose. And they sort of checked out. The, the republic cannot survive if that number reaches a certain threshold. And I, and I actually worry today, Nick, that we're, we're getting closer to that threshold. What does Byron think will improve our democratic republic? Byron was very careful to not give prescriptions on how to improve our democratic republic. He specifically said he wrote this book on the Declaration to start a conversation. I think I'm going to end this one on the words of someone else, on James Baldwin. Apathy and nihilism aside, in 1959, he wrote, Any honest examination of the national life proves how far we are from the standard of human freedom from which we began, which is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then he said, The recovery of this standard demands of everyone who loves this country a hard look at himself. And if we're not capable of this examination, we may yet become one of the most distinguished and monumental failures in the history of nations.
taking a page out of Byron's book in honor of him being the first Outdoor Civics 101 interview. And I'm recording these credits outside on the hottest day of the year at 12 noon. Today's episode was produced by me, Nick Capodice, with Hannah McCarthy. Our staff includes Jackie Fulton and Felix Poon. Erica Janik is our executive producer and figurative thunder blanket. Music in this episode by Jesse Gallagher, Black Sona, Sarah the Instrumentalist, and that musician who keeps his songs in a brisk key, Chris Zabriskie. And attention, teachers! Uh, we're hiring. Civics 101 is hiring. We're looking for a few educators from across the country to design lesson plans and brainstorm new episodes and materials. Uh, for more information, remuneration, super short application, go to civics101podcast.org slash info. Civics 101 is supported in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and is a production of NHPR, New Hampshire Public Radio. And there you have it, gentlemen. What more evidence do we need? Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, let me just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not.